So uh, a quick uh, note from one of our readers. This is uh, Olivia. Oh, you, you, you said readers. I got the feeling most people who listen to us probably can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, you are the creator. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a bad impression of the, the. Actually, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, you did? Okay, good, yeah. good, good. It was a little impression of just a little little uh, foreshadowing of what we're about to get into in this episode. <laughs> How you doing though, Dana? Uh, good. Had a few days off over the weekend, as I said I was going to do, and uh, got some rest and relaxation. I played some golf and uh, didn't play well, but there was uh, it was fun nonetheless. I play mini golf, Dana. That's the only kind of golf I play. <laughs> well, you know. When I putt, it kind of looks like mini golf. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> got the clown when you got to get in the clown's mouth or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it takes me about 20 shots to get there. Yeah. So I meant 20 shots and then I hit the ball. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like golf is one of those games where unless you're really serious about it, you're drinking and there's just like no in between. <laughs> it's It can be very relaxing. Uh, I don't keep score. And uh, I find that when I keep score, my game is not as good because I become more tense. But if I'm just relaxed and out there for fun and trying to make sure I stay on the fairway and stuff, uh, I usually do fairly well. So how about you? Do you have a good weekend? I brewed beer this weekend, Dana. You know, I'm a little bit of a beer brewing nut, maybe. That was one full day. I'm not going to say work because it's not work. It's fun. Well, that's great. If you love what you do, then it's not work. Before we dive into this week's episode, we did have a lot of good comments on last week's episode, Who Mourns for Adonis? Many people liked this episode. Well, a few thought it wasn't one of the best, uh, but I would say that the people that liked it were more than those that didn't. And uh, there was a lot of positive comments on Carolyn Palamas's toga. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't disagree. <laughs> A few women commented on uh, Apollo. Did they mention the nipple? Nobody did. Nobody mentioned the tape nipple. Interesting. Anyone mention your nipple incident? Somebody said they thought it was funny that I was missing a nipple. And just to be clear, I'm not missing a nipple. I just have a chunk taken out of one. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That was a funny story, Dana. And like I said, I've known you a long time. I, it's the first time I ever heard it. Do you ever have dreams, nightmares about the fish coming after you? Yeah, I, I, I won't even go in a pool now. Can you eat fish? Oh yeah, because it's revenge. Uh, and I start <laughs> if I start on the underbelly. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because fish don't have nipples. Although I would imagine a whale and a and like a porpoise and dolphin, I imagine they would, right? They'd have to. They're mammals, right? Yeah. So they should. I would think so. <laughs> Once again, here we go. <laughs> Maybe we can get a, is it a zoologist out, uh, or a marine biologist? Marine uh, biologist, I think, is what we need, yeah. Uh, come on the show and uh, tell us about uh, whale's nipples. One of our loyal listeners, Olivia, uh, had a comment regarding a muck time. She said, this is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. I think it's a great season two opener, and it really solidifies the Kirk, Spock, McCoy triad of friendship. Honestly, I think McCoy just sat there watching them fight for about five minutes because before he was like, all right, enough of the Schmidt. <laughs> Way to go, <laughs> Olivia. Thanks for putting the Schmitter in. Schmitter. 
she uh, put in a smiley or laughing face and then said, Schmitter will never die, and I hope it lives long and prospers. As always, awesome episode, guys. I'm super excited for season two because it contains some of the best Trek episodes. So thank you very much, Olivia, and thanks for your... Uh, loyal listenership. Dan, do you have uh, another comment for us? Yeah, we also heard from Anthony. He says, I really look forward to Fridays for each episode. Who Mourns is one of my favorites, as it has a strong character to counterbalance Kirk. So thank you, Anthony, for those comments, and we're glad that you're a listener. And finally, Dana, we did get an email from Matt Fleming. He was our winner of the Star Trek prize from last week. And he took a picture of the prize. It arrived in fine shape. As a reminder, it was an unopened collector's set of the original series characters, Pez Dispensers. It's actually pretty cool. He did say that his wife has banished it to the ban cave. I think that I think he meant that on purpose. I think it's a pun for everything that he can't have in the rest of the house. It's sent to the ban cave instead of the man cave. Maybe he meant the man cave. I don't know. But anyway, he seemed pretty happy with it. And uh, we're glad that we could do that for him. And and thanks again for all the people who filled out the end of first year survey for us. We got a lot of good information about what people wanted for season two, and we hope to implement some of that. We're also talking about doing t-shirts with our logo on it. If you are interested in getting a Damn It Jim podcast t-shirt, let us know. Yep. And then just one last kind of note, Dana, next week, we're going to be off for the week. We will have a best of episode. I haven't decided on which one yet, but um, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm leaning Schmitter. This week, it's episode three of season two, The Changeling. The Enterprise is en route to the Marulian star system, investigating a distress call. Lieutenant Uhura received no response on her hails on any frequency. Spock reports long-range sensor readings show no sign of life. Kirk says that's impossible. There should be over 4 billion people there. Spock repeats that there are absolutely no readings of life signs anywhere in the system. Sulu reports that the shield snapped on, something heading towards them at ultra warp speed. They go to red alert. Spock reports it's a bolt of energy. The object violently impacts the Enterprise, leaving the crew in partial darkness. So Spock reports that the shields absorb the equivalent of 90 photon torpedoes. Seems like a lot to me. Yeah, there's been episodes where their shields get bashed in after a few, you know, shots from phasers, it seems like. You're a musket or something, yeah. <laughs> Has anybody fired a musket at the uh, at the Enterprise yet? No, I mean, Trelane and Kirk had their little duel, but that's closest. He didn't fire it at the ship, but yeah. So no, no, the, answer's, <laughs> the answer to your question, Dana, is no. No one ever did as far as I know. <laughs> so Spock says they can withstand three more attacks, but a fourth will knock out the shields and leave them defenseless. Just then they get hit by another bolt of energy. Spock spots a possible source. They fire a photon torpedo, but Spock says the entity absorbed the photon torpedo. They get hit by another energy bolt, so that's three times. And Scotty says they can't take another one. Uhura opens up all hailing frequencies and Kirk states that they are on a friendly mission. That's why they fired the photon torpedo. <laughs> what better way to say hello than, you know, hey, eat this. <laughs> <laughs> what was the Hallmark? There's no better way to say I love you than Hallmark. So you're saying the photon torpedo is like a Hallmark card? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly like a Hallmark card. <laughs> so Kirk 
says, uh, this is Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, and we come in peace. And the attack stops. Spock identifies the object. Spock says it's only one meter in length and weighs 500 kilograms. Scotty asks, what kind of intelligent creatures could exist in a thing that small? Intelligence does not necessarily require bulk, Mr. Scott. Yeah, it's a good line. But this actually brings up kind of a question for me, Dana. We just assume, I think, as humans, that other alien beings must be the same size as we are. What's to say that they aren't so infinitesimally small we can't see them, or they're so gigantic that they don't even see us? You know, they, they would consider us as just a, a mode of dust. I've often thought about that. Yeah, this conversation would be so much better, you know, if you were high. <laughs> uh, it might... <laughs> So you hear reports that they're getting a message from the spacecraft. The audio sounds all garbled and kind of sped up. Spock says the message is binary, extremely sophisticated, and compressed, carrying several channels all at once. Kirk again tries to make contact. He asks that they know who they are talking to. Suddenly, the uh, system overloads. Kirk says, I guess they can take it faster than we can give it. <laughs> yeah, when I watched it, I rewound it again. I was like, oh, we're going to love this one. So. <laughs> so, Dana, I have two questions about that quote. Who is they and what is it? I guess they can take it faster than we can give it. It's the aliens that they're dealing with. Uh-huh. And it's information. Oh, it's information. It's a it's a data transfer. It's a data transfer. Okay. I, okay. That's one way to put it, I suppose. So suddenly the message comes through and it's a mechanical voice identifying itself as Nomad. So Nomad says his mission is non-hostile, requires communication. Kirk offers to beam him aboard the Enterprise. Scotty doesn't want it on the ship, but Kirk says if it's on the ship, it will stop attacking them. What did you think about that? I wasn't so sure. Something that is small, you know, a meter in length and can hurl power bolts at you that are the equivalent of 90 photon torpedoes. I don't know if I'd really want that on the ship. Well, do you think Kirk's thinking was it's not going to blow up the ship because it would blow up too? Or, I mean, that that might be a little... Like stupid? It might be stupid. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> In the transporter room, they beam Nomad aboard. Kind of looks like a uh, robot, maybe an oversized Hoover vacuum cleaner. That's closest. <laughs> With like a tin man hat on. It's uh, kind of hovering over the transporter pad. McCoy asks, what do we do now? Go up and knock? That's another good line, though. <laughs> Nomad says he has no parasitic entities aboard. Scotty says that is is a machine. Dana, it's kind of like last week where Spock says about the giant floating green hand that it's not living tissue. <laughs> Here, Scotty's making the same kind of obvious, you know, comment. Well, I think that they were all expecting like an alien to come aboard. Yeah. Uh, when they see this overgrown vacuum cleaner, they uh, they realize that uh, it is a machine. I can't fault Scotty. And, you know, we need some carpets cleaned on the Enterprise. It's been a while. So get to it. Yeah, there's probably still that spot on the bridge. I think that's still there. Yeah. And then we've got some others, you know, Ponfar related, possibly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what I meant by that was the soup that he threw against the wall. Spock comments that's reacting like a highly sophisticated computer. Nomad says... I am perpetual. Kirk remembers that there was a probe named Nomad launched 
early in the 2000s. Spock says it was believed to have been destroyed. Nomad shows that it can move by floating off of the transporter pad and follows them out into the corridor. One of the things I like about that when Kirk says, you know, it comes from the early 2000s and Star Trek has done this a few times. They kind of looked ahead, right? The show was 1967. So they're looking 33 years into the future. And it's kind of interesting what they think the year 2000 would look like. Oh, yeah. We don't see a lot of it, but we see a result of the technology right in this hovering. Actually, maybe instead of hovering, we should call it hoovering because it looks like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it's the show's way of looking into the future. For us, it's looking, you know, 23 years back. I just think that is cool to, to think about that. I had a similar thought. You know, obviously there's been probes sent out into space. And into Uranus. I knew somehow you were going to get that in. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, Spock, and McCoy take Nomad to the auxiliary control room where they show a display of a map of the universe. Nomad scans the map and asks if they are from Earth. Kirk says, yes. Nomad says, you are the creator. Dana, can I, can I stop you for a second here? This goes back to a discussion we've had about several episodes, right? It's like, hey, something comes onto the ship. We're just going to turn over all the information. And not only that, we're going to tell it exactly and point out on a map where we come from. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, taken friendly a little too far. But it's like when Khan, right, came aboard. He's like, yeah, here's all the, all the information about us, you know, on the computer. Yeah. And again, this is a being that earlier was trying to destroy them. Yeah. Good point. So Nomad had said, you are the creator. The sterilization procedure of your ship was not necessary. When Kirk asked Nomad to explain, it says, you are Kirk, the creator. You program my functions. McCoy asked, well, I'm not the Kirk. Tell me what your function is. This is one of your units, creator. Yes, he is. It functions irrationally. Sometimes. What did you think of that line? Oh, I liked it. Joke at McCoy's expense. Yeah. Nomad says, my function is to probe for biological infestations to destroy that which is not perfect. But that whole term, biological infestations, I thought that was a cool term. And it made me think of lice. Yeah. That's essentially what we are to Nomad. Kirk turns to Spock and says, biological infestation. Spock says, I will investigate the records. So as Spock is able to investigate the records right there next to Kirk, Kirk asks Nomad, why do you call me the creator? And Nomad asks if the usage was incorrect. Spock suddenly stands up and says, the usage was correct. The creator was just testing your memory banks. Nomad says, much damage was done during the accident. So Kirk calls the, the tech over. It's, uh, we've referred to him as Ensign Singh. And uh, Kirk tells Nomad, this unit will see to your needs. Kirk pulls Spock and McCoy out of the room. Spock explains that it is the probe launched from Earth. McCoy states, it's impossible for anything so sophisticated to have been developed way back then. Kirk says Nomad was destroyed. And Spock reminds him it was presumed destroyed. Spock says it was probably just damaged. In the map room, Singh gets closer to Nomad and some lights come on on Nomad and Uhura calls down to the auxiliary control room. Singh says everything is normal, but he wants to run some checks. And so while he's doing checks, the comm is still open. Uhura starts singing and while Singh checks the system, Nomad just leaves the room while Singh is checking out all the other panels because there are no locks on the freaking doors, Dan, ever. Yeah, and... <laughs> 
couple things about that scene. One, when Kirk left and told Singh to watch Nomad, the look on Singh's face oh, yeah. was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> He's leaving me with this thing? That That's the first thing. Second is, as much as I like Uhura and as much as she has a beautiful voice, if she was singing while I was working, that would drive me freaking <laughs> insane. Huh. That's all it takes, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that would just, it would drive me crazy though, Dana. <laughs> The singing. It's like, keep that to your quarters or the the, the uh, rec room. She's kind of known for doing that. And and I don't mind the singing. It's the singing on the bridge while you're working. <laughs> I'm trying to get some work done here. So yeah, I think everybody else on the bridge can hear her. Oh yeah. Sing didn't seem to mind. No, he, he didn't. In fact, he was kind of smiling like, oh, there she goes again singing. Glad I can just shut her off whenever I want. Kirk and Spock checked the computer on Nomad's creation and launch. A Nomad was originally built by Jackson Roykirk. Spock says, a brilliant but erratic scientist. He wanted to create a perfect thinking machine. And all of a sudden, Kirk makes the connection. Jackson Roy Kirk, James T. Kirk. Spock says, it thinks you are the creator. Spock then shows the diagram of Nomad. McCoy doesn't think it's the same as uh, what Nomad is. And Spock says, essentially it is. It mentioned the other. And Spock says, the question is, the other what? The original mission for Nomad was to seek out new life forms. Spock says, now it is seeking out the perfect life forms. Something has changed. Kirk says, if this is true, then we've brought a device onto our ship that sooner or later must destroy us. Kirk calls security and asks the security team, find Nomad. Next thing we see is Nomad comes onto the bridge. <laughs> Just right on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, Scott, he sees it and he calls Captain Kirk and he says, the mechanical beastie is up here. That was pretty good. That was a good uh, Scotty imp impression. I've been working on it. By the time we finish this, I'll sound just like James Doohan. Although he didn't sound anything like Scotty because he did not have a Scottish accent. So Nomad stops by Uhura and it asks why she was singing. And Nomad casts a ray on Uhura that covers her face. When Scotty tries to stop it, Nomad zaps Scotty and he goes flying backwards just as Kirk, Spock, and McCoy come on the bridge. Second time, Dana, in two weeks, right? Scotty is flying. Yeah, and being zapped. Apollo got him a couple of times, at least twice. Yeah. Now Nomad's got him. But this one's a, a little bit different from what Apollo did to him. Yeah, McCoy goes and checks Scotty and says... Stench. Yeah, the iconic line. I practically cried. I was so happy. I was, uh... <laughs> I was happy too. Yeah. I mean, not that Scotty was dead, but that McCoy said the line. Exactly. Kirk asked Nomad, why did you kill him? And Nomad replies, the unit touched my screens. You know, and robots are people too. I think you've got to ask before you touch. Well, in the 60s, you know, things were different for sure. Not better, but different. But I think Scotty learned his lesson from this one. Well, we're going to see in some upcoming episodes. I got the feeling he needed to take some notes. So Kirk looks at you, her, and she seems blank. She's just kind of staring, no expression on her face. And Kirk asks, what did you do to her? And Nomad replies, that unit is defective. Its thinking is chaotic. Absorbing it unsettled me. That unit is a woman. A mass of conflicting impulses. Once again, you know, yes, we are going to allow women on the ship, but they are still these, you know, chaotic, emotional. They're going to fall for the first Roman looking God that comes along. You know, it's just, I, you know, those roles were just not written very well, Dana. No, it's total 1960s vibe there. So not only is uh, Nomad a mass murderer of uh, billions of people, he's also a misogynist on top of it all. Yep, he is. Yeah. 
Nomad asks Kirk if he wishes for him to repair the Scott unit. Kirk says, repair the unit. McCoy says it needs multiple records. Spock downloads the tapes, asking Nomad not to download faster than the system can work, because we've been through that before. I wonder, do they have a morgue on the Enterprise? It's just, I've never heard them refer to anything like that, have you? But they take him to sickbay. I mean, that would make sense. The morgue would be like the refrigeration unit off of sickbay, I would assume. Yeah, or maybe they've just got like a garbage chute that, you know, those beds just like tilt up and into the wall and the body disappears. <laughs> so. God, that's great. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, if they're, they're good, it, it tilts up into the room. If they're dead, then it just tilts up the other way into the wall and they just disappear. And they become part of the replicator system for meals. <laughs> Hmm. This tastes like a scotch egg. Yeah, that that's Scotty. Not gonna tell you what part, but it recycled to get that. Have you ever had a scotch egg? Uh not that I'm aware of. I think it's like a maybe like a hard boiled egg that's wrapped in bacon and then with like a bread coating on the outside and they deep fry it or something. I, I think you're right. I've seen one. Yeah. Uh, but I've never had one. Nomad downloads the files and then he says the Scott unit is a primitive structure, insufficient safeguards built in. McCoy takes Nomad to Sickbay. In Sickbay, Nomad is next to Scott. Everyone looks on, certain that Scott is dead. Suddenly, the readings uh, pick up and Scott tries to set up. Spock says, fascinating. Nomad says, the unit is repaired. Kirk asks Nomad to repair Uhura. Nomad says, her memory banks have been wiped clean. Spock says, well, if there's no brain damage, she can be retrained. Kirk turns Nomad over to two security guards. Kirk asks Spock to figure out what makes that thing tick? So the next thing we see is Spock in a room and he's sitting in a chair next to Nomad. Spock has his arms folded as Kirk comes in. Spock reports that Nomad is quite stubborn. It refuses to let its screens down so he can study it. Kirk says, Nomad, will you allow Mr. Spock to probe your memory banks? Nomad says, this unit is different. It is well ordered. And Spock looks quite pleased with this response. It kind of gives Kirk a look. Yeah, like, see, I told you. In sickbay, you heard is, I'm pretty sure, reading a Dick and Jane book. I think so. Because it's like, see, spot, run. Yeah. Didn't we all start off with Dick and Jane? <laughs> <laughs> Dane, I thought this part was so ridiculous and kind of stupid. I, I don't know. You know, don't they have a device that can put things right in the brain? Didn't we see that in an earlier episode? But wait a minute. Chapel's helping her read. You heard her tries a line. She can't get it. And, she's, and then she says something in Swahili. Yeah. Her mind was blank. She doesn't know she knows Swahili. How is she able to speak Swahili but can't speak English? Yeah, see, I had the same question. I'm, I'm guessing almost everyone who has watched this episode has said, wait a minute, what's going on there? Well, they did a translation on a website, what she said in Swahili, and it was, I can't fucking believe this show. This is the stupidest script I've ever read. I think is exactly what she said in Swahili. So Kirk and Spock are studying Nomad. Spock suggests a Vulcan mind probe. Does not seem like a good idea to me, Dana. He's already thrown Scotty across the bridge. He's wiped Uhura's mind clean. Now he's going to like touch this thing and like get in contact with it? Kirk says he thinks it's dangerous, but Spock says he has formed a hypothesis and needs to check it out. Kirk asks Nomad to allow Spock to touch it. Spock does the Vulcan mind probe and Spock starts repeating, I am Tan Ru. Tan Ru. Nomad. Tan Ru. 
So then Spock pulls away, but keeps saying sterilize, sterilize. And Kirk tells Nomad to break the communication. And then he pulls Spock out of the room. Spock explains that after the meteor collision, Nomad was disoriented and wandered through space until coming in contact with Tanru, an alien probe whose mission was to collect and sterilize soil samples, presumably as a prelude to colonization. The two melded into one new Nomad. I, I, I got a question, Dana. Why sterilize? the soil samples. Wouldn't you want them not sterilized so that you could like see what's in them? Yeah, I was wondering about that. If it does have something bad in it, you'd want to know. If it has something good, you'd want to know that too. Yeah. Rich in nutrients, well, you just sterilize it. So basically all you're getting is dirt. The two melded into one new nomad, combining their technology and missions into one extremely powerful probe bent on sterilizing any imperfect life forms it encountered, using its own perceptions of perfection. Kirk says, Changeling, ancient earth legend, a fairy child left in place for babies. It assumed the identity of the child. I've never heard this legend. Have you? I have. Big in uh, Scotland, Ireland, because they believe in fairies and all that type of stuff. Next thing we see is Nomad is in one of the holding cells and there's two guards standing outside and Nomad goes through the force field. The guards pull their phasers as Nomad passes by. Yeah, but the the looks they gave each other though, Dana. It's like, oh, what, are we, what, are, what should we do? What do you think we should do? Yeah, it wasn't like alarm. It was more like befuddlement. Uh, yeah, total befuddlement. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I think they went to the same guard training school as Schmitter. <laughs> They pull out their phasers and they fire and Nomad fires back, disintegrating both of them. That was a great moment for me, Dana. (laughs) It's the first time in season two, right? Yeah. And you got two, not just one. Nomad goes down the halls and comes into engineering. Scotty follows Nomad around. Nomad says it will fix the inefficiencies of the drive system. And the ship starts speeding. And one of the guys, the technicians there says, warp nine, 10. Scotty says, that's impossible. The guy says, warp 11. Kirk comes in and asks Nomad to stop, saying that its improvements will destroy the ship. Spock comes in and reports that the force field on the brig was damaged and the guards are missing, so that he must assume they are dead. Kirk gets mad and yells at Nomad. He says, I am a biological unit and I created you. Nomad says, biological units are inherently inferior. Nomad says he must reevaluate before returning to the launch point. So by that he means Earth. And so we've got the idea that uh, he wants to head back to Earth to just get rid of everybody. Yeah, and Spock says it's uh, reevaluating Kirk as a biological unit. So we see two security guards escort Nomad. A different two. We just need to make this clear. It's a different two because the other ones have been vaporized. Yeah, they're not coming back. Wouldn't you think these two, they would have known, right? And I was thinking, don't you think Kirk would have said, whatever you do, do not draw your facers. <laughs> On this mechanical beastie. (laughs) That is a great point. Yeah, you think he would have. They uh, go down the hall. Nomad goes straight where they want to turn. And and the guard says, Nomad, this way. And right away, these guys draw their phasers. The guards end up firing their phasers. And Nomad kills them as well. So the next thing we see is Nomad coming up a ladder. And I'm thinking there's the same ladder that leads to to the executive bathroom that Kirk used uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, so maybe Nomad had to discard some waste materials. Or maybe he was going to sterilize the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> 
Scotty reports that the life support systems have been shut down. We realize it's Nomad. Kirk says, grab some anti-gravs and meet me in engineering. In engineering, there's technicians laying on the floor unconscious. And Kirk goes to Nomad, says, stop what you're doing and effect repairs on the life support system. Kirk says, you are supposed to listen to your creator. Kirk says, biological units are imperfect, but a biological unit created you. You are an alien machine. You have been altered. Nomad says, I am perfect. Kirk says, I am the creator, but I am imperfect. How could I have created a perfect thing such as you? Nomad says, sterilization is its prime function. Imperfection must be sterilized. Kirk argues that everything that is in error must be sterilized. Nomad says, there are no exceptions. Do you see where this is going? You know, I do, Dana, and it's bothering me already. Kirk continues on, uh, I made an error in creating you. I created error. Nomad says, your data is faulty. Kirk says, you're wrong. You are an error. You did not discover your mistakes. You have made two errors. You are not perfect. You must sterilize. Nomad starts going berserk. It's trying to think and it's kind of making all these noise and lights are flashing and they run over and put on the anti-gravs. They rush it to the transporter room where Scotty transports it out into the deep space and then it uh, it blows up out in space. Later on the bridge, Spock says, My congratulations, Captain. A dazzling display of logic. You didn't think I had it in me, did you, Spock? No, sir. <laughs> which might have been the best lines that they had in the whole show yeah so mccoy comes on the bridge and says Uhura is back to college level she should be back on the job within a week wow that's pretty quick most of us take the uh the long way to get to college level i i didn't know that if i read dick and jane books and could speak swahili i could have gotten to college level faster spock says that nomad was a remarkable instrument and it was a pity to destroy it kirk says we saved hundreds of billions of lives. Spock kind of gives him a look and Kirk says, what are you feeling so bad about? It's not easy to lose a bright and promising son. It thought I was its mother. Do you think I'm completely without feelings? You saw what it did for Mr. Scott. He could have been a great doctor. My son. Uh, and that's how the show ends, Dan. Thankfully. <laughs> So, Dana, what did you see as dilemmas in this episode? Things get distorted over time. It, it's like the telephone game. If I tell you a story, you tell a friend and a friend tells someone else and it ends up a completely different story in the end. So, I mean, it's just the Nomad got disoriented. Its mission changed. How about for you? Was Did you have an idea on the themes or dilemmas? And it's not a new one. Star Trek was not the first to do it. It is such a trope in science fiction. It's, you know, technology created by people and then becoming more powerful than people and not not needing people anymore. I did have one more thought on that. Imperfections are what make us unique. Yeah. We appreciate one another's imperfections. So Dan, do you have a, uh, do you have any more themes, dilemmas? Just one more thing I wanted to bring up. This show is really related in theme to the Star Trek, the motion picture, right? With V'ger, which was Voyager. But it is really interesting that the Voyager spacecraft, both of them, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they're already outside of our solar system. They're the farthest traveled human human-created devices, and they're still working. NASA still gets data from these two spacecraft, which I think is fascinating. Both of these eventually are going to get into or near other solar systems. And now it's going to take a long time. Voyager 1, that's not going to happen for like 40,000 years. The same with Voyager 2. But what happens when an alien race finds these? That, that was the only other thing. They're still working, and they're still transmitting data. <laughs> 
So Dan, what's the uh, best part for this episode for you? Best part, I would say, is all the crew deaths we got. So we got four. This was not the number one episode for crew deaths, by the way. It was where no man has gone before. 13 in that episode, Dana. Uh, so it's not a record, but it's definitely a record for season two. How about for you, a best part? Nomad's appreciation for Spock and Spock's reaction to that. Love that little look that Spock gave Kirk. Like, see, somebody appreciates me. It's a machine, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's a machine that wants to kill us, but yeah. Otherwise. So do you have anything else that's uh, best for you? No, that's pretty much it for this episode, Tana. That one was was all I had. How about for you? Spock's reply to uh, Kirk's question, uh, you didn't think I had it in me. Uh, Spock's reply of no, sir. Spock was being honest. Dan, what about a worst part for you? Again, the way the show denigrates women with Nomad's comment about women being a mass of conflicting impulses and Spock just saying, well, yes, it's a woman. Again, just cringy. How about for you, a worst part? I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. How is Nomad able to generate so much power to attack and wipe out whole planets? Do you have any other worst parts you want to talk about? In this episode, Dana, there was so much talking, long monologues, long explanations, and yet there were still so many plot holes. Yeah, I think the concept was great. Yeah. I think the execution was poor. <laughs> Dana, what happened on this day in history? Well, let's start off uh, musically. Uh, the number one song in the U.S. was uh, The Letter. That's uh, two weeks in a row by the box tops. In the U.K., our buddy Engelbert uh, is still on the charts, three weeks running with The Last Waltz. Uh, God. Once again, where were the Beatles? I would even take any English band over this guy. I did look up that song. I listened to about the first 20 seconds of it. No, don't get it. Well, also on this date, Gladys Knight and the Pips are the first to release Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, I, I didn't either. What a great song. Also, the classic sci-fi TV series Captain Scarlet and the Mysterians was broadcast for the first time on ITV. Born on September 29th, 1967, Mira Sorvino, an American actress and Academy Award winner. She's the daughter of actor Paul Sorvino. And Moon Zappa, the uh, daughter of singer Frank's app. I thought it was Moon Unit. Isn't it Moon Unit and Dweezil? That's her brother. So also on this date, Carson McCullers, the American author uh, who wrote Heart is a Lonely Hunter, died of a brain hemorrhage at age 50. There's a little bit of stuff going on that day, along with the episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Dan, do you want to do the counts? Yeah, Dana, let's start with the dead crewman count. What do we got for this week? A whopping four. Dana, I want to argue a point here. It definitely is four, but I think it's 4.5 because of Scotty. Now, he was dead and he did get brought back to life. The exact same thing happened in shore leave to McCoy. We gave him a half a death. I think we need to give Scotty a half a death here. What do you think? I think you're right. All right. So we've got four and a half. <laughs> it's an odd number. Is it an odd number? It must be. Anyway, so we're, <laughs> we're now up to 31, Dana. How about the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? Nope, didn't happen. No, none. So stuck at 10. The he's dead count. We had one and he actually said he's dead Jim. Yeah, it was the full Monty on that one. And so we have a total of five. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Uh, Not in this one. Nope. Yeah, zero. So we've got three. The supreme being count. You know, for a second, I thought I could argue this. Then I talked myself out of it. Nomad is not a supreme being. Okay, so zero. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. So... Uh, uh, zero this week, a total of six. Violation of the Prime Directive. No, didn't really deal with any other planet or anything. Zero for this week for a total of four. <laughs> 
So Dana, I just want to remind our listeners next week is going to be a repeat episode. But in two weeks, what do we have in store for them? Dan, it's going to be the exciting episode, Mirror Mirror. All right. I'm looking forward to that one. Well, I had a great time again, Dana. Enjoy the rest of your week. Okay. And thanks again for all of our listeners. Keep the comments coming. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Remember, next week will be an encore episode. And then in two weeks, join Dana and Dan for Mirror, Mirror. Have a great rest of your week. And remember to live long and prosper. Prosper.